0: the man of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us now to this part of our worship. We continue to worship you as we open our hearts and our minds and receive your word. And we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, every person in this room, everyone who's old enough to pay any attention at all, will open their heart right now and say, Speak, Lord. I am your servant and I hear you. We pray, Father, that the Spirit would illuminate the Word so that we would be enabled, supernaturally, divinely enabled, to understand it. We pray that the Word will shape us and form us, will you make us and mold us into the very people you want us to be. We pray that your Word would prove effectual to shape our entire church today. There are things in our text, Lord, about our church, and we pray that you will shape our church, that we may be a biblical people, a people for your possession, a people for your praise. And so, Father, as we open your word, we pray to you, open thou our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from your law. We are strangers in this earth. Oh, please, do not hide your commandments from us. We ask all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is Moses, the man of God. Now, I told you two things we're doing in the service, the sermon, and then, among other things, ordaining. But let me tell you now two things that are in the sermon. Here's where the sermon is going. If you want to know where it's going, listen up. Here's what we're going to do in this sermon. We're doing two things. The first thing is we're looking at Moses, the man of God, and seeing how great he was. I think there's a slide for that. It says, Moses, how great was he? That'll be our first point. So we're going to spend a chunk of time on seeing from the text how great he was. Then the second thing we'll do in the sermon, the second chunk of time, will be on this. But we're going to notice that he was seriously flawed. So the point is, even great men, great men like Moses, and he was among the greatest ever on the planet, even great men like Moses were, alas, touched by the fall, needed the grace of the Lord Jesus, and he found salvation by grace through faith and everything God revealed to him. But even he was seriously flawed. And so we're going to stand up five pastors and a sixth one becoming a pastor today. you have six pastors on the stage in front of you. That doesn't happen very often. We want you to know, I want you to know, these are great guys. Not great like Moses, but these are great guys. But they're all flawed. I don't know how. I honestly don't know how. Like the one we're appointing today, Brian Atwell. I'm sure he has some flaws. Ask his wife. She can tell you something. He's flawed, but I don't know how. But every, every great man of God has serious flaws, and we're going to see how those flaws worked out in Moses' life so that you can see how that even little sins in your life produce Catastrophic effects sometimes. So that's where we're going. Here's the first thing we're doing. The first half of the sermon, Moses, how great was he? Then the second half, how flawed. Well, how great was Moses? Well, great. You like that little, uh, he was the goat, right? The G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. He was great in his day. In fact, in all the Old Testament, there was none who rivaled him. Not Ezekiel, not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not Elijah or Elisha, not Malachi, the last of them. No prophet named in the Old Testament was greater than Moses. Not even close, not even by far. There was, though, and this is a trick thing here. Maybe it'll have a trick question in it for you. There was one Old Testament prophet, who was greater than Moses, however, who was he? Who was he? John the Baptist, you're right on there. So he's not actually named in the Old Testament. Well, he's not named as John the Baptist. He's named as the Elijah who shall come. But the Lord Jesus said of him, he was still an Old Testament prophet, the last of them, and the Lord Jesus said of him, no greater has arisen born among women so why was why was John the Baptist so great not because of the miracles he worked not because of the depth of revelation given to him like Moses but because he was the one as we sang earlier who got to point and say behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world so he was great for that reason But except for him, Moses would rise above all the other Old Testament prophets. And there are things that point out to us how great he was. We could go, for example, we don't have time. We could go to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, Old Testament saints, and we could see that by faith Moses did this and did that and did the other. Meaning Moses was a man who believed God's word and acted upon it by faith. He was saved by the Old Testament revelation that he had. We could also point out how great Moses was by mentioning the signs and wonders during the Exodus. I mean, who else in human history has done what he did with his staff and his words down in Egypt, deliver God's people, the Red Sea parted in front of him and the people. Who else uh, received the kind of revelation he received from God, the Ten Commandments and all? Jeremiah was not in that league. Ezekiel wasn't in that league. No other was like Moses. But we're going to look at some texts in Deuteronomy and then one other passage that show us just how great Moses was. I want you to know this. Look at Deuteronomy 5, 4 and 5 with me. I'll read them for you. And Moses says to the people of God, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain. It terrified them and they didn't like it because they weren't right with God. Out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain, Deuteronomy 5, 4, and 5. So picture this, how great Moses is. He was, kind of as a prefigurement of Christ, he was the intermediator between God and the people. God spoke his word to Moses, Moses brought it to the people. Moses brought them the Ten Commandments. Moses brought them Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's a lot of revelation. That's a lot of Old Testament. And Moses brought them the entire law, the entire Torah to the people. He was very, very great. We see more about this in Deuteronomy 5 later in the chapter, verse 31. Moses says to the people, but you, no, I'm sorry, this is God to Moses. But you stand here by me. So here's the Shekinah glory of God. Here's a fire. Here's a cloud. Here's smoke. Here's a quaking mountain. And God says to Moses, that's me. Stand here by me. Has has anyone in this room ever had that happen, I wonder? I don't think so. Like, we're nowhere in this league, right? But you... Stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. Moses, I just want you to come here. I'm God. Come here and stand near me, and I'll tell you the statutes, the commandments, the ordinances, the judgments, and all, and then you'll go deliver them. What a, what a position to be in. That was Moses. There's more in chapter 9. We would read this, verses 9 and then some more. Moses says, when I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, get this. I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Deuteronomy 9.9. 9. Talk about a diet. Talk about a crash diet. You know, this is humanly impossible. How long can humans go without drinking water? I think it's three days. How long can humans grow grow without eating? It'll surprise you. I think it's about a month. In fact, I won't name him, but we have a guy who's a part of this church. He's about my age. There's the only clue you're getting. Uh, Who told me when he was younger, he just got it in his head that he wanted to see how long he could go without food. And I believe he told me he went a month with no food. So how about that? So if you're on a diet and you're thinking, man, I'm going to starve to death if I don't, no, you can actually go about a month, with so that'll help you. But anyway, here's Moses, obviously supernaturally sustained by God as he's up on the mount, down on his face, communing with God, worshiping God, receiving revelation from God, and for 40 days and 40 nights... He is sustained divinely by God. God made him. It's a small thing for God to sustain him without food and water. Who needs food and water when God's working in the equation? There's only one other in the whole Bible who was ever sustained supernaturally like this. Who was it? It was Jesus. That's right. I got your accent. It was Jesus. Yes. Amen to that. So Moses is is prefiguring Jesus in a sense. But then we go on, Deuteronomy 9, 10, and 11. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Have you heard of these things called the Ten Commandments? How many of you have heard? You heard of the Ten? Everybody's heard of the Ten Commandments. Guess who they were given to? They were given to... Moses. It was given to Moses to receive from God on tablets of stone inscribed with the, quote, finger of God. And that was given to Moses to take down the mountain and deliver to the people. Here, these tablets, these are from God. What an amazing position to be in. That never happened with Isaiah. That didn't happen with Ezekiel. This was given to Moses. Well, he was up in the mountain. He received the revelation from God. He went down. And what did he find when he got there? He found the people were having a party. Can you imagine that? Here's Moses, being the man of God, prostrate before God, on his face before God, 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water, didn't need them. Such was the intensity of the fellowship with God and the revelation from God. And then what are the people doing during that time? They're like, he's gone, let's party. You know, they say when the cat's away, the mice will play. That's what they were doing. They were down there having a party. And so Moses came down and found that. And we read in Deuteronomy 9, 18, then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before 40 days and 40 nights. So are you doing the math here? I'm not great at math in my head, but I can, I can add this one up. That's, 80 days total, not very far apart from each other, 40 days on the mountain, and then 40 days more following that. That's 80 days. Did I have my math right? 80 days that he's without food and without water, supernaturally sustained by God. To who else has that ever happened on the planet? Has anybody here ever gone 80 days without food and water? No, this is crazy. This, he's in his own category very much. And we read then... Um, Let's go again, verse 18. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, why? Because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. What a contrast, the people being so evil and provoking the people and their sins, provoking the Lord, and Moses being such a man of God. So, verse 25, so I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. He's interceding again for the people in his prayers, 40 days and 40 nights for the people that grumbled at him, that complained at him, that were awful to deal with, and he's praying 40 days and 40 nights, oh Lord have mercy on them. Oh, Lord, please don't deliver them into judgment as their sins deserve. This is Moses, the man of God, 80 days on his face. We go to Deuteronomy 10.10. There's more. And he says, he went back up the mountain this time. I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. So that's the second, 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. So 40 days and 40 nights, Lord, please don't destroy them. Please don't destroy them. Have mercy upon them. Lord, please don't kill them. And the Lord said, all right. Go back down and tell them. And he did. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. So now what happens? Let's go to Exodus 34, verse 29. We're seeing what a great man he was. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain. By the way, when you think of tablets, we're not talking about your iPad. Just want you to know that. These are big wooden, not wooden, these are big stone with stone engraved by the finger of God with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. First they were afraid to get near God, the mountains smoking and quaking and the voices thundering and it terrified them. Now they're afraid to get near Moses because he's been so with God, 80 days total, prostrate before God, worshiping and praising and receiving divine revelation that when he came back down there was a glow. We learn elsewhere in scripture that he put a veil over his face so that they would notice the glow was slowly disappearing the glory of God on his face was slowly disappearing. Well, who else in all of earth's history ever experienced anything like that? Moses was truly in a category of his own. He was absolutely in a category of his own. But here's a great summary statement. We're almost done with how great Moses was. I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 and following. And here's what, Moses wrote Deuteronomy, but at the end there were some extra comments by a scribe. We don't know the identity of that person, but they write about Moses. And here's what that scribe wrote. Deuteronomy 34.10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Note. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Imagine that. Right there, Stan and Jackie. Now, Jackie, I know you face to face. You know me. Stan, I, I know you face-to-face. I have a a wife. Her name's Debbie. I know her face-to-face. You have friends. You know them. But who in this room knows God like that face-to-face? That's not said of anybody else in all of the Word of God, whom the Lord knew face-to-face. The intimacy The closeness, the relationship God and Moses had, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel, Deuteronomy 34.10. Moses was in a league of his own. It's not entirely surprising, it was evil, it's bad, but it's not entirely surprising that when Jesus came, the leaders of Israel said, no, we like Moses. They chose Moses over Jesus. That's a bad choice because Moses was about Jesus, and Moses prepared the way for Jesus. And in fact, when they chose Moses and rejected Jesus, they weren't really choosing Moses. They were choosing a religion and a system that they had concocted that wasn't pleasing to God. But anyway, Moses was a great man. Have we established that? Are you all with me on that? Does anybody want to stand up and make a contest about this? No, we all agree. Moses was a very, very great man, a towering giant. Now, let me just pause and say there, in a little while here, you're going to see five of your elders and a sixth one become an elder. So you have six pastors, six, six elders, six overseers in front of you. I just want to tell you, I'll confess to you, none of us is a towering giant. Sorry to tell you that Cornerstone Church. None of us is in the category of Moses, or you can come down about a thousand categories and we're probably not even there, all right? We're a bunch, it says on our website, we're a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody. We got that phrase from somebody else. So, so don't imagine that when, when Brian Atwell comes up here today and we lay hands on him and pray, don't imagine we're getting a Moses don't imagine any of us who are laying hands on him are Moses far from it we're not in that category at all at all we are just lowly servants and unworthy of the least of his mercies but now we want to see how Moses Nonetheless, like us, was flawed. And he was. He was seriously flawed. It only shows up toward the end of his life, but it was probably there all along. We get some hints of it before. But now we're going to see how he was seriously flawed and what the consequences of that flaw, those flaws were. Namely, he was not permitted to go into possess Canaan land. So let's look at that now. You all with me? All right, quick drink. Dry mouth. Thank you. So let's go to Deuteronomy 31 verses 1 and 2. And we read, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, this is is sweet, I am 120 years old today, happy birthday Moses, I'm 120 years old, what's that mean, here's what it means, I am no longer able to go out and come in, (laughs) like I don't leave my house much. I'm too tired. Now, my dad's not 120, but he's 95. I know I tell you that too many times, but I love him. He calls me almost every morning and we talk for a while. And my dad being 95, I'll ask him, so what'd you do yesterday, dad? He might tell me like, well, I drove into town and got some groceries and I came home and then I was exhausted. So his life is at low on energy now and there's a lot of, I was exhausted in the stories about his days. Well, well Moses is 120 years old. And I'm no longer able to go out and come in. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. So God told him, yeah, yeah, you're old. You can't go in and out very well. You're not going to Jordan. There's going to be a lot of going in and coming out when you get across the Jordan. There's going to be battles. There's going to be wars. I'm not sending you over that for the, over there for that. So that's not a flaw. It's not flawed that he's tired because he's 120 years old. Amen. It's not a problem, right? We're okay with that. But now we're going to see how his flaws begin to appear. So back in chapter 3 of Deuteronomy, we read this. Um, The people have sinned, and we read, and Moses says, And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, Oh, Lord God, get this, you have only begun... You have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. That's only, Lord, what you've given me so far is only the beginning. Really, can you imagine what he's experienced with God so far? From Egypt all the way up till now, up on Mount Sinai, 40 days, 40 nights, repeated 40 more days. 40, and Moses feels like, I'm just beginning to get to know you, God, because God is immense. God is eternal. God is infinite. He is the all-wise God. I think we're going to feel like that for all eternity. Like there's more, and there's more, and we'll never exhaust understanding who God is and what he's like. And Moses says, oh, Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. And then he puts out this great phrase, for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Amen? Like, what other God can do that? And now Moses begins to plead with God. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country, and Lebanon. Oh, please, Lord. reminds you of one of your kids when they want something and you're telling them no. Oh, please, mommy, can I have it? Oh, please, oh, please. And that's what Moses is doing with God. Please, can I go? Verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me because of you, we'll come back to that, and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, like stop the pleasing. Here's my will. No more pleasing after this. Don't keep going on. Please, please. No, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes for you shall not go over this Jordan. So Moses been such a great man, such, did such wonderful things. You kind of wonder, don't wonder, you kind of wonder like, why Lord? He, he served so faithfully. He communes so deeply with you. He received so much revelation. Why won't you just let him go in the land? What, what did he do to make you say no? Well, we're going to find out more about that right now. So let's go to Deuteronomy 32, and here we're going to find out. Verse 48. That very day the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jericho and view the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession and die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people and why here's why here's why Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. There's reason number one. Here's Moses' flaw. He broke faith with God. We'll come back to that. And reason number two, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. So here, God reveals to Moses, here are two reasons why you're not going into the land. Let's look at them for a second. Number one, you broke faith with me. You broke faith with me prior to that Moses kept faith with God what does that mean what God said he believed it what God said he received what God said he took at face value verbatim what God said he didn't tamper with he didn't try to get creative with it he didn't alter it he didn't make it suit the culture he didn't make it suit his own desires or cover up his own sins God said it I believe it that settles it that's what Moses had been all along but he broke that at this point He broke faith with God. He stopped trusting and obeying. He didn't believe and do exactly what God had said. And that might seem like a small thing. Like, you you might complain at God, but you shouldn't. You might say, well, Lord, that's such a small thing that he broke faith with you. It's gonna be when he brought water out of a rock. We'll see that in a minute. Such a small thing, Lord. Why would you not let this man go in? No, it was actually a very big thing to stand in front of all the people and not do exactly what God had just told you explicitly to do. That was no small thing. So he broke faith with God, and then very closely related to that it says, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. What does that mean? God being holy means that he is other. He is unlike us. It's not just that he is without sin. It is that, unlike us. But it means that in every way, he is transcendent. He is high, and we are down very, very, very low. We're like nobodies before God. And so to treat him as holy would mean to respect him and to revere him so that you would do exactly what he says. And how did Moses fail to treat God as holy? Well, Moses treated God as one of us. Like... If one of you says to me to do something, I might improvise on that a little bit. Like if Stan stands at my house, I'm picking on Stan today, and he says, hey, can you bring me a cup of coffee? I might bring, you don't even drink coffee, do you? Sorry, bring you a cup of coffee, and uh, I might say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring him a cup of coffee and a cookie. See, I I improvised what he asked. We can do that with our friends because, you know, he's not high. We're both humans and all that. But when God says to you, bring me a coffee, all you do is bring him a coffee. God's never going to say that. All right. Wanted you to know I know that. Okay. So whatever God says, you want to take him at his word. He's explicit about it. You want to be... Uh, strong and firm about sticking to exactly what he said, and Moses did not. When did he not? I think you can feel it coming. If you know the Bible a little bit, you'll know about it, but let's go look at it. We have to jump over to Numbers chapter 20. Now, the people of Israel are engaging in their favorite national pastime. They're grumbling. They're grumbling at God. Moses is at a point where he's had just about enough. You ever been at that point with somebody? No, never. Huh? I'm sure you have. So Moses is at that point. I've just had about enough of this. I can't take any more of these people. So there we are, Numbers 20, verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's where they went to meet with God. And they fell on their faces. There's a lot of face time going on in Moses' life. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, now notice exactly what the Lord says to Moses, exactly what he tells him to do. Take the staff. You remember the staff? He had it in Egypt. He worked miracles by it and so on. Take that staff, Moses still had it, and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So far, so good. Take the staff, and what's the second commandment? Speak to the rock. That was pretty simple, wasn't it? Is that hard to remember? Two points. Take the staff, speak to the rock. I can even remember that, all right? So what what happens? Does Moses take the staff? He does. That's good. But then what happened about speaking to the rock? Numbers 20, verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So they're all there to see him do this. And he said to them, and he's angry, and you can see it. He says, here now, you rebels. Did God tell him to say that? gather the people and call them rebels. No, he's mad. He's improvising on exactly what God, who is transcendent and you should treat him as holy and you should keep faith with him. No, he's not doing those things. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? God didn't tell him to ask them that question. And then verse 11, and Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Boom, boom, he's mad. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, same two things, because you did not believe in me. See, they did not keep faith with God. They did not trust and obey. They did not say, God's word says it. I believe it. That settles it. No, because you did not believe in me. You didn't do what I said to uphold me as holy. That's the other thing. You didn't treat me as holy. You didn't treat me as superlative, somebody whose words you don't mess with. You don't tamper with the Word of God. You don't twist things in there. You don't say, well, culture says this, and I want to fit in with culture, so I'm going to twist it that way. The people want this, I'm going to twist it. No, you don't do that. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Numbers 20, 10 through 12. So what did Moses do? You know, at first blush, you might think, boy, the Lord's really being hard on him. That's just a small thing. I can understand why he's angry at the people. I might have hit the rock too. You, know, you might be thinking things like that. But no, it was very big. He actually broke faith with God. He stopped treating God as holy and started treating like God like just somebody whose words I can improvise on. That's bad. You don't want to go there. You don't want to do that. Moses failed to obey the direct, clear, simple command of the transcendent God of the universe. That's how he was flawed. So what have we seen in our two chunks so far? Now I have some things to do by way of conclusion. So we saw, number one, that Moses was just great. He's in a category of his own. He was the goat, save John the Baptist, who eclipsed him at the very end. But we also saw that he was flawed. He did have sins. At a crucial time, he failed to revere God. He failed to treat God as holy. He failed to stick to God's word explicitly. He improvised on the will of God. He came out with his own plan and improvised because he was angry. His anger got the best of him. And for that, Moses was not allowed to enter the land. You say, well, that's all very interesting, Pastor Steve, but that's ancient history. What does this have to do with us? Well, there were a few things along the way that had to do with us, but let me give you three things, and here's how this has to do with us. First, how it has to do with us, all of us generally, and then two more, the that has, how this has, what this has to do with us as we're ordaining a pastor today, what this has to do with us as pastors in the church. Here's the general one for all by way of closing and conclusion. Number one, please note from the story of Moses... That little compromises can lead to large, painful, lasting consequences. Amen? Isn't that exactly what happened in the life of Moses? He'd been so faithful. He'd served God so hard. He'd been so holy and committed and dedicated and self-denying. He just gave himself wholly to the Lord, but he wound up at the end angry, and that led him to a little compromise. It looks little to us. I just, he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. But that little compromise was actually big, and it led to large, painful, lasting consequences. He had asked, please, please kind of go in the land. He pleaded with God, oh, please let me go into the land. And God said, no, and here's why. Because you didn't treat me as holy and you broke faith with me, and you didn't do what my word says. Little compromises in Moses, and little compromises in you and me, and little compromises in us as a church can lead to large, painful, lasting compromises. I'm sorry, consequences. So I would simply ask you now, and may the Spirit of God search you and lead you to the cross as needed. Are you allowing, are you living with, are you excusing, are you explaining away? Little compromises. That you're just saying, well, they're just little compromises. They're actually very big because you're not taking God's word seriously. You're not living according to God's word. You're making excuses for your disobedience. You're twisting the scriptures so that you can tell yourself, but I'm doing the will of God. God understands, and this is okay. Is that you that I just want to remind you that little compromises can lead to large, painful, lasting consequences? But I also want to remind you quick that there is a fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. And you can take those compromises, and I pray that you will, right to the cross, right to the foot of the Lord Jesus, and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins unto you. I'm so glad you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Now, let me make this point before we leave it a little more applicable to the subject of pastors and elders as well. We don't want to make compromises as, who become, as to who becomes a pastor here. The scripture is clear on biblical qualifications. We're going to read some of them to you a little bit later. And we don't want to fudge on that. We don't want to say, well, yeah, he's got that, but he's a good guy. Let's go ahead and do it. This happens a lot. Sometimes it's the, the good old boys network. I like him and we like him. Let's get him. And he's really not biblically qualified. As a church, you must pray that we would never do that. And you would take seriously your involvement. We involved all you. We ask all you members to give us your consent by thumbs up, by a vote, and let us know we're all together in this. And you gave it unanimously, by the way. But we don't want to make any little compromises, and we don't want our elders making any little compromises about how they lead the ministries and the life of Cornerstone Community Church. Can I hear an amen to that? All right, thank you. Bless you all. Here's a second point by way of closing. This is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. Every elder we could possibly appoint will be great in some ways and flawed in others, right? So if you're thinking we're going to appoint a flawless elder, think again. I don't know what his flaws are. I don't know what any of their flaws are, Frank. I couldn't name anything with any. They're great guys. They're like Moses, not in his league, but they're great guys. And I couldn't name any other flaws, and that's good because the Bible says an elder must be what? Above reproach. Doesn't mean there's nothing wrong. Doesn't mean he's reached the point of sinless perfection. That's impossible to glory. What it does mean is there's nothing glaring, there's nothing that's scandalous, there's nothing terrible, there's nothing that's gonna make everybody just say, wait a minute, what about that? You can imagine what that might be. But can there be little things as, like sure. There will be, and there are. Just ask any one of our wives, all right? So, I just had three weeks. I've never done this before in my life. I just had three weeks of staycation. It was a to-do list staycation. My list and hers. And every day it was my job, and I loved it. It was a complete distraction from work. Get up and what's on the list, add some things to the list, get them done. Endorphins in my brain, cross one out. It was really a really great time. So, But I found out that it was, so like by the end of the three weeks, I think we're both realizing that in order to save our marriage, I need to go back to work. Because we were really starting to get on each other's nerves. And we don't do, we, we get along really great. We're blessed with a very easy and good marriage, but we were definitely getting on each other's nerves. And I was thinking like, yeah, it'd be good to get back to work here. So every elder we could possibly appoint maybe gets on his wife's nerves if they stay home together three weeks in the house. Every elder we could possibly appoint will be great in some ways and flawed in others. Don't believe it? Ask their wives. So don't expect our elders to be perfect. Expect us to be Christ-loving, Christ-exalting, Christ-following, but flawed and fallen but redeemed men of the church. Amen? You okay with that? All right, here's the third point by way of closing, and then we'll be done. It is this. I already pointed this out, but let's make it a point by conclusion. Leaders of God's people must, 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 must lead strictly according to the dictates of his word. Now, I just want to tell you, we live in a time, and I bet a lot of people who've lived in any time have had the same thing in their time. We live in a time when there's lots of pressure on pastors to do this or to do that. But when we look at our Bibles, we say, well, wait a minute, that's not quite right. That's not quite biblical. We don't think you're dealing fairly with the Word of God. We don't think we can subscribe to what you want us to do. And, and pastors have to make decisions like that all the time. And I hope you'll pray for us that we make good and wise decisions, but you, I hope you'll like this, that leaders of God's people must, 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 must lead strictly according to the dictates of his word. In other words... What we need on any given issue, what we need to know. An issue comes up in Cornerstone Church. The elders meet. We meet regularly twice a month on a Sunday night. We have a meeting tonight. usually at 7. Tonight it's 8 because there's a picnic from 5 till 7. So we'll meet tonight at 8. And there are things we have to talk about and deliberate. And Lord, give us wisdom so we can make wise choices that bless people and bless your church and help grow our church and keep us biblical. And you just pray for your elders that we would lead strictly according to the dictates of God's word and do your duty. If you ever believe you see us getting off from that, if you see us veering off, taking our feet off the straight and narrow path that leads to everlasting life, you come and talk to us. You come and bring the word and seek to reprove us and show us our fault, and either we'll agree or we'll disagree, but please pray that the leaders of your your church would lead strictly according to the dictates of God's word. Pray for us. So that's our concluding message in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's also a message that points to the ordination of Brian Etwell to become one of our pastors, elders, overseers. First, Pastor Stan's going to come and lead us in communion, I'll pray. He'll come and lead us in communion, and then we'll go to the ordination. Thank you for listening this morning. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. We pray that this time in your word would not prove to be an exercise in futility but rather that your word has come to us as individuals and come to us as a church in the power of the Holy Spirit so that your will would be done in our lives and in our church. Father, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, holy through Christ and acceptable in your sight. Help us to present our bodies to you all the time, which is our reasonable service. And we present our church to you and our elders to you and this one that we're ordaining today. And we pray, O Father, would you give us more of the power of the Holy Spirit, more wisdom, more discernment, more selflessness, more humility, that we may serve you faithfully in the church of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Pastor Stan. All right, thank you, Steve, and good morning, good afternoon.